Well, as you know, this this is primarily teaching, and it's not geared for the little ones. I think this is something little ones need to hear. But when it comes to a whole lot of Scripture and such that it gets a little bit beyond their ability to comprehend. Sometimes with children, especially as young as those children are, you're just better as a parent or as a teacher or a pastor just to simply tell them what they need to do and later on tell them why they need to do this. Now, last week we stopped in our study on the separation of the sexes, uh, which is a doctrine that's taught throughout the Scripture. And we want to go into the New Testament. I read a little bit from 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, when it, it deals with the, the hair. I, I think I would need to give a whole study on this, but if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, just put your, your finger there. But the scripture I want to read first is from 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, uh, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, the Bible says, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, <clears throat> the reason why that I wanted to read this scripture, because you're going to run across a tremendous amount of people, even Pentecostals, that when you talk to them about any dress standards or what we commonly call holiness standards, they're going to say, well, what about the grace of God? And they use that to dismiss the teachings of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Now, the truth of the matter is that when you study grace in the Bible and you use grace to dismiss any Bible teaching, uh, you're, you're doing it in error. Uh, <clears throat> let's turn to, to the book of Titus, the second chapter. And we want to read verse 11 and verse 12. Now, this, this, is, just, this is just one of the, the scriptures dealing with grace. Titus, the second chapter, verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now, what does that grace teach us? Could, could somebody here give me a definition of grace? Unmerited favor, all right. That's what we commonly hear. Could somebody give me another definition of grace? Okay, Skasha. Okay, the, the power that God's given us. All right, that is a very good definition, too. Strong's Concordance said two definitions, unmerited favor, and secondly, the divine leading of the heart. So most of the time, though, when you, you read the word grace... You could put this simple definition, just God's help, God's ability, God's help. So <clears throat> Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now, that ability, that help is going to do something for us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, according to Scripture, now I'm, I'm just giving you one case where grace is mentioned. According to Scripture, any doctrine that incorporates 
grace that does not have as its final uh, goal separation from the world is an error. Uh, the other example that comes to my mind right now is is Romans 5. Romans 5, the very... We will not turn there because we got a lot of Scripture. But uh, the Bible starts talking about grace. And Paul ends Romans 5 by saying that where grace doth abound, or sin doth abound, the grace of God doth much more abound. And he starts in verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So any doctrine about grace that does not have as its ultimate goal separation from the world is an error. And that's what Paul is saying in 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 First uh, Corinthians or Second Corinthians six verse one. Uh, we then, as workers, beseech we we then as workers together with with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. In other words, <clears throat> God's divine leading of the heart, God giving us that ability to discern right from wrong, God using his Holy Spirit to separate us from sin, how would we receive it in vain? Well, it, it would be like a, let's say that there's a, and uh, in, in, in this has happened in, in, in our world recently, volcanoes erupting. Let's say that, that all of a sudden uh, uh, a family receives word that, that the volcano that's nearby, the mountain is going to blow and it's time for them to leave. But they say, well, we don't have a car, knowing full well that they could not leave a foot and beat the eruption of the, of the volcano. So somebody comes and drops a car off and keys. It's full of gasoline, so then you need to leave. Well, let's say that they decide that what they want to do then is not just leave alone. They want to gather up all their belongings. So they go inside and they start gathering up all their belongings. And they work 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 and work and work and work and work. Well, beneath the surface of the earth, this volcano is building pressure. It's about to blow. Then when they get everything loaded up, they get the map out and they're going to determine what route they're going to take. Then they pack a picnic lunch and so forth. After a while, while they're getting ready, the volcano blows. They lose their life. Well, they received the car in vain. In other words, the car was given freely, full of gas, ready for them to escape. But they didn't take advantage of it. You see, that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about we receive the grace of God in vain. That the divine leading of the heart that leads us past many of the obstacles that the world has and many of the things that causes us to stumble, that what we do not do, we don't pay, take any heed to it. The Holy Ghost has been given to us. God's Spirit is put within us to direct us and guide us. So this is something that we need to understand because invariably when you start talking about holding standards, even to a lot of Pentecostals, and I'm not here to run down Pentecostals, but you go to camp and you talk to some of the girls and some of the boys up there, and they have been taught by parents that, well, the grace of God, what about grace? Well, truthfully, Grace and mercy are two different subjects. While they do, 
they, they do rendezvous, and they coincide in certain areas, but they go off in different tangents. Mercy is the withholding of judgment. God could have punished you, but he withholds judgment. Grace is that leading of the heart that allows you to walk past all those things that judgment, that, that you know, that you would become guilty of, that judgment could be pronounced upon you. So this, this is very, very important. And the reason why is because you turn on WNWC, you turn on almost any radio station where the gospel is being preached or where some religious preacher, and they're talking about grace as if it doesn't make any difference what you do. That's not the teaching of the New Testament. Example, okay? They say the Old Testament's done away with. No, the Old Covenant was not done away with. It was fulfilled in Jesus, but not done away with. And you know full well that when Jesus came up on the scene preaching grace and truth, he put it in a little bit different light than Old Testament teaching. If you committed adultery, you were taken out and stoned. You were guilty, and you were put to death. But Jesus came and said, But I say unto you that if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he hath committed adultery in his heart already. Now, does that sound like grace is going to dismiss anything? No. Basically, what he's saying is that under the new covenant, when the Holy Spirit comes, that that spirit within you is going to guide you and lead you. Grace is inseparable from God. It's not a part of God. It's God in you working. It's the divine leading of the heart. Also in 1 John 3, uh, verse 15, if you'll turn there, the Old Testament Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. But in 1 John 3.15, the Bible says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So, it doesn't sound like that we're excused under grace, does it? The truth of the matter is, in certain respects, we're held more accountable than there were in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they were held accountable for actions. In the New Testament, we're held accountable for intentions. I made this statement last week. You cannot separate character from conduct. You see, what you are determines what you do. So you may discipline yourself not to do certain things, but in the New Testament, Jesus is interested in you getting these things out of your heart. Now, we started reading last week in our Bible study, 1 Corinthians 7. And we'll just go there, 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll read verse 1. Now, concerning, I think I have the wrong scripture, 2 Corinthians 7, pardon me. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, <clears throat> when we talk about holiness, and I know that people argue this, they say, well, standards of dress and you know, has nothing to do with holiness. Well, yes, it does, too. It sure does. Now, I, I, I spoke Sunday night about holiness, and holiness is the one word that describes the completeness of God, the wholeness of God. 
W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. The wholeness of God. So you take all of the divine attributes of God, you put them all together, and you get the word holy. Now, God made us body, soul, and spirit, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And this is what God wants. God wants His holy, righteous, divine character to touch all of us. All of God touching all of us. Body, soul, and spirit. Because you can't cry up the altar, speak in tongues, dedicate yourself to God, and then go out and live the way you want to live. That's contrary to New Testament or Old Testament teachings. It's contrary to biblical teachings. So all of God must touch all of us. Hebrews twelve fourteen, and <clears throat> we'll read this scripture. The Bible says, <clears throat> let's, let's back up to uh, verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And hands means our deeds. The knees represent the way we walk, all right? And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Verse 14, follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby, thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. In other words, Esau asked his brother to forgive him, Isaac, and Isaac then asked Esau to forgive him, and they fell upon each other and kissed each other on the neck. That's what the Scripture says. But the truth of the matter is, Esau really never got over he really never got it out of his heart. And it's holiness then that keeps us from failing the grace of God or that divine leading. So Esau died, what? A bitter old man. Simply because he could not forgive. Now I've said all that to say that, <clears throat> hey, this idea of, of grace just dismissing actions and you can go and do what you want is is just not biblical teaching. It's just, it's incorrect. It's, it's not, it, it's just not right. Uh, I have, I've talked to quite a few men that uh, have talked to me about grace. I said, well, what about grace? And every time that they use that, what they're doing, they're trying to circumvent Scripture. Well, that's not what, that's, that's not what grace is all about. Grace allows us to follow Scripture. Isaiah 35, verse 8. And this is prophecy dealing with the new, the, the, our new walk with God. Isaiah 35, verse 8. And a highway shall be there, and a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. So the way that we walk is called, the straight and the narrow is called a highway of holiness. Jesus tells us that straight is the gate and narrow is the way. 
This is a highway of holiness. I've actually had people tell me, say, well, I don't want to hear this business about holiness. Because they dismiss holiness to just, well, it doesn't make any difference what you do, it's what's in your heart. Now, that's not Scripture. See, man has the ability to look only on the outward appearance. That's what Jesus said. And we judge people by what we see. But God has the ability to look in the heart. So for somebody to come and say, oh, it doesn't make any difference what you do, it's what, what you are inside. That's just a bunch of baloney. That's not scriptural teaching. All right, the separation of the sexes. And this is where we stopped in 1 Corinthians 11. had to do with the hair. And like I said, now it'll take a whole lesson to teach this one. But I, I just wanted to call your attention to, to a couple of things. And I think we did say something about this. The chain of command is given. <clears throat> and that's where we have the separation of the sexes. In verse 1 through verse 4. But verse 5 starts by saying, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if she be, but if it be a shame, shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now the word shame here actually means sin. And then we go down to verse 14. Uh, let's let's look at verse uh, 13. Judging yourself, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now, the teaching of the Scripture is this, and I'd like for you to study this out, and I'll be, I'd be willing to, in fact, I would like to take one whole day, or not day, but one whole chapel, and talk about this. The teaching of the scripture is that a woman should have long hair, and then it talks about shorn. What is shorn hair? It means cut hair. Okay, what is shaven hair? It means hair that's totally removed. So, the woman should have long hair, and if not, she might as well, you know, in other words, if she doesn't have long hair and she's going to cut it, uh, she might as well shave it. Now, so the three lengths of hair that's mentioned is long, shorn, which is cut, and shaven, which is to remove it all. So if shorn is cut hair, then long hair has to be uncut hair. Now, I know that some girls take and trim off bad ends and all this. And, and they say, well, I just... I just trim my hair. Well, that's not the teaching of the Scripture. That's not what the teacher, the Scripture teaches. Now, I'm concerned about this because there's there's a couple of things that I'm really concerned about as in as in our Pentecostal movement. And one is the dress codes are taking a real nosedive. I've never been a clothesline type preacher that that's all I preach on. But I do go places and I see people dressing the way they're dressing, and, and, and it does alarm me. And then our young girls come back and say, oh, but over in this church they're cutting their hair. But now, you see, we have to answer to God for ourselves. We we don't have to answer for for any church, any place in Wisconsin. And you have, you're responsible to God for yourself. So a woman should pray with her head covered, and, of course, 
her hair, verse 15, is given to her for a covering. Uh, evidently, uh, in the Old Testament, they, they, they covered their head when they prayed with a veil. But Paul is saying that under grace, or this period we live in, that her hair is actually that covering. Okay, we got hands that are raised. and I, I know you have questions about this, but we're not going to be able to finish it. We're going to have question and answer next week, okay? So, Katie, just hold your question if you would, okay? Actually, if you'll, <coughs> if you'll write that question down and turn it in to me, because I've got tons of questions already, okay? But I think this is very important for us to go through. Now, we go to 1 Timothy 2, and once again you'll find that the chain of command is given here. Uh, it's also given in Titus when Titus talks to the, to, the, to the men and talks to the women. We'll not go to Titus because of time, but uh, if you notice verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Titus, first, first Timothy, pardon me. First Timothy 2, verse 8. Now let's look at verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided or braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, I brought in my Zondervan study Bible. Now, this is put together by uh, Trinitarian people. I just wanted to see what uh, they had to say about this. So I, I want to read what, uh, what is found here. We'll start with verse 8, lifting up holy hands. It says, In the New Testament church, just public worship, it was apparently customary for all worshipers to offer prayers aloud. He gives a reference of Acts 4, 24 through 31, Ezra 3, 12 through 13. In other words, they would do it in the Old Testament and New. To be acceptable, prayer had to be offered by those who were living holy and righteous lives toward others. That is what holy hands means, okay? In verse 9, women in modest apparel with shamefacedness, all right? It is God's will that Christian women be committed to dressing modestly and discreetly. The word shamefacedness comes from the Greek word A-I-D-O-S. It implies a certain shame in exposing the body. It involves the refusal to dress in such a way as to draw attention to the body and to pass the boundaries of proper reserve. The source of modesty is in a person's heart or inner character. In other words, modesty is the outward manifestation of an inward chastity or purity. Dressing in an immodest manner that may excite impure desires in others is as wrong as the moral desire that it provokes. No activity or condition justifies the wearing of immodest apparel that exposes the body in such a way as to cause immoral desire or lust in someone else. Galatians 5.13, Ephesians 4.27, Titus 2.11 and 12, Matthew 5.28. Matthew 5:28. Now, these are references. All right. He goes on to say, It is a sad commentary on any church when the biblical standard of modest dress is ignored and the world's customs are passively adopted. 
the day of sexual permissiveness, in a day of sexual permissiveness, the church should act and dress differently from the corrupt society that that casts aside and ridicules the Holy Spirit's desire for modesty and and purity. Uh, And he gives a reference to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And then the ninth verse, braided hair or gold, this possibly means, and he says this possibly means the braiding of hair with gold or other artificial articles of luxury. Now, <clears throat> the, the Zondervan Study Bible was, this is not an old Bible. And it was, this, this was not, uh, this was, uh, the copyright's 1992. It looks like that uh, the notes and such were provided as far back as 1985, so it's not a real old Bible. But uh, this, this gives you some idea of what's taking place. And <clears throat> as I stated last week, one of the strongest doctrines in the Bible, regardless of how you want to interpret it, is the doctrine of separation. Separation of the sexes and separation of the church from the world. It, uh, I just read a book. I got it uh, and read it this week, which is one of the most powerful books I've ever read. It's by, I think, a charismatic preacher. But uh, did you get your book yet, Brother Thomas? It's by John Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E. And the name of it is A Heart Ablaze. It is a powerful book. And the whole book is on separation. I I wish our old church could read this book. It it, it has some insights in it that just, I mean, it, it really, it brought me, I think, when I finished, I had a greater desire to pray and stand for what's right than ever before. Uh, I think our young people are, or some of you young people are fasting. And in other words, the fast is you're not watching videos or or uh, listening to music or anything like this until after Youth Week for a month, okay? Uh, and I mentioned that I'd heard over WNWC, and I forget the name of the gentleman who was promoting this, but John Bevere in his book talks about this, that he asked the young people, and I asked the church, one church for 40 days, that if they would stop watching television and things, a lot of things that we don't do, but they were to do this. And he goes back 40 days later, and he tells about the move of the Lord that they had. And it started with actually with the children that uh, after he finished preaching, uh, that the children just rushed down the altar and uncontrollably wept in the presence of God and the adults then followed them. And he tells that in this church, which was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, that they had just moved in a new auditorium that seated 1,500. And within six months, they'd already started building a new sanctuary that they had filled it up. And basically what they were stressing was uh, separation from the world. If I understand Old Testament biblical teaching correctly, in the last days there's going to be light. Number one, that people will receive revelation of who Jesus Christ is and be baptized in his name. Secondly, people will receive the Holy Ghost. We're seeing that. And thirdly, a restoration of holiness. And I think it's... I think the sad part about it is that so many of our people are gravitating away from holiness while a lot of people are coming toward holiness. I was literally shocked 
when Brother Rutherford and I went down to ACE, these are independent Baptist people that don't speak with tongues, don't baptize in Jesus' name. When, when they talked with us, and they told us outright, don't let any children come to your school whose parents have TVs. They just told us that. Now, that was 20 years ago. I couldn't believe it. And some of the standards that they set, and, and they tell outright, they just say, now, look, if you come here and you're, uh, you're, uh, you're going through training, you must have on a dress, a modest length, and, and no pantsuits are allowed. Now, that doesn't sound like any Baptist people that I grew up with. And we had Baptists of all flavor in East Texas. <laughs> but they were the liberal elements, uh, you know, of our society. But evidently God is doing something. Now let's turn to 1 Peter 3, verse 4. 1 Peter 3, <clears throat> let's just start reading with verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that uh, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be, uh, let it let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair, or the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord or Master, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Basically, we are all the children of Abraham. But he says, if you dressed modestly being in subjection to your husbands, you become the daughters of Sarah. That's what he's saying. And, of course, he mentions this. I think what the Bible teaches, it teaches against excessive ornamentation. And I will cover that in a question and answer session. It teaches against excessive apparel. That is expensive, extremely expensive apparel. And I think that some of that uh, is is relevant. I, I I think for myself that that I could put on a suit which would be very expensive, but we'd have some people to come here to our church that would uh, it wouldn't be that excessive because of the money they make. You understand what I'm saying about that? Basically, what the Bible is teaching us is that when self is evident then the cross and the power of the cross ceases to live within our lives. When you spend so much time thinking about yourself, what you're going to wear, how you're going to dress, how you're going to fix your hair, and I know a lot of the questions that I got started out like this, what is wrong with? And there's nothing wrong with asking it that way, but sometimes you have to ask what is right with doing this. What's, what is wrong with watching PG movies? Let me ask you this. What is right with watching PG movies? You follow what I'm saying? Because 
If you're not prayed up and you're not seeking God, your natural inclination is to gravitate to that line and you'll live right on that line that divides right and wrong. And anytime you draw lines like that, you'll end up going too far. Make sure that when you draw lines for your personal life, and that's why I'm teaching this. Now, the church has a standard. Your family has a standard. But you need personal lines for yourself. And when you draw those lines, make sure that you draw those lines on the safe side. Now, I said excessive ornamentation. Let me just go through this. Look look back at uh, verse 3. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair, or the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel. Well, naturally, there's nothing wrong with putting on apparel, is there? No. So it's talking about excessive. I have always felt that a woman who wants to wear a wedding, wedding band, that, that that is honorable for her to do so. It represents a covenant. That's what rings were for. We'll, we'll do, deal more about this with this, rather, in, in our question and answer session. But outside of that, I've, I've told you kids, you can wear a class ring, but after you wear this ring a year or whatever, I, mean, I didn't set a time, but a year or so, why don't you take it off? Because the reason why is because, see, this is the day that everybody likes to pin all these things on the flesh. Now, we just were into this last week. Painting of the hair, or the painting of the, the face, rather, the wearing of the... Now, we do see a lot of painting of the hair now. But, but, but it, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's a shame when our world, our society, especially Americans, can... Here, here we got this M&M that I think they had Grammy Awards uh, last night. Now, I don't know if he won any Grammy Awards or not. He won three. And, and, and the truth of the matter is I, I read some of those lyrics... And, and, and it is a shame. He's, he's talking about, he's using, when he talks about girls, he uses the B word. He talks about raping them. And here he's winning Grammy Awards. He should be locked up someplace. He's acting like an animal. Seriously. And I think that, you know, I don't want to develop a judgmental attitude. Sometimes people can get so judgmental that they can't enjoy anything because they're, they're just looking for something that's wrong. That's their, that's their primary objective. And I don't, want, I don't want that to happen to me. A lot of things go by me, and I don't pay any attention to it. But the truth of the matter is the teaching of the Scripture is that, that you adorn yourself in modest apparel. And some of you girls want to wear the slits so high. And we'll talk about lengths of slits tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, next week. And dresses so tight. Now, right now, I can't say much about the boys with the pants because now the, the deal is that you wear pants where the crotch is all the way down to the ankles almost. And it, it's, just, it's just a bad thing. And you're doing it, why? Because everybody else does it. Because you don't want to stand out in our society. But we've had people to go, Sister Kira, not Kira, but uh, 
um, not Carlin, Carey. Sister Carey, I graduated from our school. Uh, she went into secular work. When she came back here, they didn't want her to come back here. They wanted her to stay where she was. Uh, Carrie has, I've never seen Carrie dress in any way, ever, in which I felt that, you know, she shouldn't be dressing that way. Uh, she was, she was plain and modest. What is attractive about her? It's the, it's the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, her smile. Really, a very attractive lady without all this stuff. And, and sometimes, you know, and some of you girls have been wearing your, your skirts so tight, and we, we ask you not to do it, and, but you do it anyway. And last time we had a field trip, we said you don't have to wear the school uniform. And two or three of you girls came in with dresses so tight. And I made up my mind, now the next time we have this, and you know, you know why you know why there's so many rules in the Bible? When I say rules, you know why all these epistles? These epistles were written when problems cropped up with people who had fleshly problems. Seriously, you know why half the rules are in our in our handbook at school and it gets thicker and thicker? It's because people keep abusing. We have to I made up my mind now. The next time that 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 we allow you to wear dress clothes or street clothes, first you're going to bring in your uniforms, and then you're going to then you're going to dress in those dresses. And if they're not acceptable, you're going to put your uniform back on and go. Now, you may think that sounds bad or sounds cruel, but that's just the way it's going to be. I don't understand why anybody would want to show off their figure like that. It, it's, it diametrically poses Calvary. It feeds into the lust and the ways of the world. You notice this in the Old Testament, when the devil took in the children of Israel into captivity, whether it be Egypt, whether it be Assyrian, whether it be Babylonian, the first thing that they wanted to do is change their names. You remember in the Old Testament about three Hebrew, Hebrew children? Their names were changed. Daniel's name was changed. Changed their names. The second thing, they were forced to eat the food. Now that doesn't have a lot of relevancy to us today, but it did to the Jewish people because they had clean and unclean foods, which is explained in the New Testament. And then they were forced to do what? Dance to or bow down or listen to the music. And the fourth thing they did, they changed their garments, made them dress like the people that they lived with. If they could change their names, change their diet, make them listen to their music and dress the way they dressed, they had converted 400 years in Egypt. Look at the history of the Jewish people. They really never got Egypt out of their heart. They really never got it out of their heart. 
Now that goes back to the teachings. <clears throat> Kira asked the question about Ezekiel 16. Now we read in Ezekiel 23, 37, and 40. Let's look at that first. Ezekiel 23, 37-40. It says that they have committed adultery, and blood is in their hands, and with their idols have they committed adultery, and have also caused their sons, whom they bear unto me, to pass from them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, this they have done unto me. They have defiled my sanctuary in the same day, and have profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slain their children to the idols, then they came the same day into the sanctuary to profane it, and lo, thus they have done in the midst of mine house. And furthermore, that ye have sent for men to come from afar unto whom a messenger was sent, and lo, they came, for whom they didst wash their, thyself, paintest thine eyes, and deckest thyself with ornaments. Now, this is also found in Jeremiah, the fourth chapter. So uh, this is a, a, the approximate same period of time. Uh, Jeremiah 4, verse 30. And the Bible says, And when thou art spoiled, what wilt thou do? Though thou clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, though thou rentest thy face with paintings, in vain shalt thou make thyself fair. Thy lovers will despise thee. They will seek thy life. Now, Kira asked a question about Ezekiel 20, uh, Ezekiel 16. So, <clears throat> this is what I want to address here for just a few minutes. Ezekiel 16, verse 15. Uh, pardon me, verse 9. Uh, then washeth. Then washed I with water, washed I thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with roded work, and shod thee with badger skins, and girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and put bracelets upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck. And I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Uh, thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was, was of fine linen and silk and broided work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exciting, exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through thy comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord. But thou, did, thou didst uh, trust in thine own beauty, and playedest the harlot because of thy renown, and pourest out thy fornications on every one that passed by, his it was. And of the garments thou didst take, and didst thy, deckest thy uh, high places with diverse colors. I'm having problems reading, as you can see. These glasses are mine. I'm going to have to get a big print. <clears throat> uh, with colors, and platest the 
the harlot thereupon the like things which shall not come, neither shall it be. And then, of course, verse 17, uh, Though thou hast also taken thy fair jewels and my gold and my silver. Now, <clears throat> it seems strange to me that that the Lord would, would talk. about what they did when when they were spoiled and then turn around and and give or encourage them to do this. Doesn't that seem strange that when they were spoiled, this is what they did? Now, most Bible scholars, even those who do not believe in holiness, we believe, they simply say that he is that this is an allegory. You remember, you know what an allegory is. It's a story which uh, depicts people, things, or events uh, in a symbolic way or symbolic meaning. Now, Peter, when Peter talks in his epistle about Sarah and women of old, he uses the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. So he talks about the way that they're decked inwardly. So, what I think the scripture is saying, this type of behavior, this type of dress, is condemned in the book of Isaiah. It's condemned in the book of uh, in the the uh, recording of the kings concerning Jezebel. It's 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 condemned in the book of Ezekiel. It's also condemned in the book of Jeremiah. It's not according to the teachings of the Old or New Testament. That basically what he's saying is that. Hey, I, when I decked you out with plainness, I put the crown upon your head. I put the ornaments. I put everything that you actually need. So your beauty is in what? Your beauty is in your modesty. It's not in all these things. Because they turn around and deck themselves and play... The, the way of the harlot. What is the way of the harlot except following the desires of the flesh? And, and that's exactly the, what the teaching of the scripture is, that, that the ways of the flesh leads to a promiscuous society. And that, that, that's what we're living in. Look at all the body piercing. Piercing of the eyes and the tongue and the nose and Earrings all the way up here. Tattoos all over the body. Just anything that will call attention to self. And and that, that diametrically opposes the teaching of the scripture. That's just that, that just there, there's just nothing in the scripture that, that even indicates that that we that we should put this much emphasis on ourselves. And, and you let a person start doing this, and they start gravitating toward the world. After a while, they're watching R-rated movies. 
And I know that we've had we've had young people in our church, even some in our Christian school that I've talked to that that have had birthday parties and such, and they would show PG movies where there's bad language. One question asked, and I'll deal with this because I'm on it. So what's wrong with watching PG movies? What's, now, I have never believed that it's a sin to watch television. I've never taught that, even though I teach people that they shouldn't have TV. And the reason why I think it's wrong to watch the things that are wrong, but the problem is, listen to me, listen very carefully, the problem is that you really don't know what is wrong or what is right until you watch it. And if it's wrong, the damage has already been done. So if I came into someone's house and the president was speaking, I'd probably watch it along with them. I don't see anything wrong with that. But even though I've taught people don't get a television because I've never known of anyone that stayed on top spiritually all the time. In the moments in which you get weak, and something cries out within you to just take a peek. And, and it, it, it's, very, very, it's very, very sad. But I, I don't understand why that, that Christians would want to dismiss two or three curse words and watch a movie to get the good out of it. So if I went out here in the yard, and I used this one time explaining this, but I, if I went out here in the yard and found where a dog had pooped, I picked up a little bit of it and brought it in and put it on your pizza. Would you eat the pizza? I'd say, oh, it's just a little bit. It won't hurt you. Just a little tiny bit. No, you wouldn't touch it, would you? But it's a shame that we feed our souls on those things. And it's a shame that young people are wanting to do this. I mean, they're, they're crying out, why can't we do this? We've got the best group of young people in Pentecost. I do believe that. But you need to hear more of this that I'm talking about because it is not right. And to, and, and to have a television in your home where this, there's this, this constant diet of rebellion and people jumping in and out of the bed with with with. Teenagers doing this and somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband and openly talking about these affairs and everything. What's, what's happening? It's diluting the world and making us insensitive to righteousness and godliness and purity. That's what it's doing. And then what happens? We see all this, then we think nothing about it putting on swimsuits and such and going over houses and jumping in the pool with people of the opposite sex. Why? Because we see it all the time. It's commonplace to us. That is not. If you want power with God, you can't do that. Now, the thing about it is you can always play the religious role. In other words, you can, you can go ahead and do those things if you want to do those things and play the religious role. But when, when, when Paul talks to Timothy, he talks about perilous times shall come, dangerous times shall come. 
And he names all of those things. All of those things. Every last one of those depicts, portrays a person who is stuck on self. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. And he goes on to say, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. God has called us to holiness, purity. The cross stands as a real symbol of death. Don't ever do anything that, that you wouldn't feel comfortable sitting down with Jesus and doing. Do you think Jesus would sit down for entertainment purposes and watch nudity and profane jokes and such? No. So let's forget about the world, what the world's doing. We don't try to imitate the world. Now, I'm going to close because I've gone a little bit over. We'll answer questions next week, but who should be your who should be your models? Who should be your idols? I use the word idol. I shouldn't use that. I, I didn't mean that. Who should be your role model? Who do you think should be your role model, Ashley? Okay. All right. Our ministers, their wives and elders. Let me ask you this. How many of you young people are, are trying to model your life after them? How many of you are trying to model your life after them? Now, you're not going to wear everything that, like Sister Grant does because Sister Grant is in her mid-50s. She doesn't expect that. But you understand what I'm talking about. I like to see young people looking nice and looking sharp. I like to see young men that look sharp. I don't expect everybody to comb their hair the way I comb mine or you to fix your hair like Sister Grant fixes hers, you know. That's not what we're talking about. But I do know this, that this gets to be a major hang-up with young people. And some of those young people can stay right in the church and later on, have their own children and create elements within the true church that that uh, diametrically opposes the teachings of the scripture. Now we're going into youth week and no doubt several of you young people will be up behind the pulpit and everything. Look modest, look nice. The whole point of holiness is to do what? Make us transparent so that when people see us, they really see Jesus within us. Now, you can smear on and clip and cut and dye and do all this kind of stuff, 
to the point that you look just like a little doll almost, but you can't see Jesus. And that, that that's against the teachings of the Scripture. Sister Ross and I have gone over time here. But thank you so much for bringing the kids in. We'll have question and answer session next week, okay?